Well, good morning. Welcome to Upstate Church, Five Forks. I'm Brian, as Michelle said. Sorry if you came today and you were looking to connect with Dustin. He and his family are out of town this week on vacation. So that just means you got to come back next week and you can get a chance to get to know him and get to see him next week. But we are glad that you're here with us today. Go ahead. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Philippians or you can turn on on your phone. We are in the book of Philippians and we're going through this series this summer on uh, forward, moving forward. And we're going to be in chapter two of Philippians. So as you turn there, um, I want to kind of share with you a little bit, you know, Sherry, my wife and I, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary this past year. It's hard to believe. It seems like it was just a day, 25 days ago that we got married, but it's been 25 years. But way back in the dark ages when we were students in college that living in downtown Chicago, um, I lived in boys' dorm, she lived in the girls' dorm. Um, that first year that we were what I kind of classify as friends, you know, we were being friends together. I wanted to go take her out to do something pretty special on that first anniversary. But I had a problem. My problem was is I was a 20-year-old college student and I was completely broke. But I was a smart 20-year-old broke college student because I knew that all I had to do was to call my mom, tell her what I wanted to do, and she would move heaven and earth to make it happen. And because I was her favorite son, she decided that she would do something to help with that. So she said that she's going to send dad to the bank and that uh, he was going to take care of that. See, right before I left to go move to Chicago, they got me a card kind of like this, a bank card, and said, you know, when you're there, whatever, if something comes up, you can take and use this and take and get whatever you need on that. So uh, I planned a nice fancy dinner and we got together and we were headed out to go do it that evening. And as we did that, um, we walked when we lived there in Chicago, everywhere we went. Now that was nice because Sherry enjoyed walking because it meant we had a lot more quality time together. I walked everywhere we went because it, I was cheap and it was expensive. If you've ever lived in any downtown city, you know how expensive it can be to park your vehicle and to have to drive around like that. So we walked out to go on our fancy dinner, and it was about a mile north of where we lived there on the near north side of Chicago. And right before we got to the restaurant, the bank was there, so we stopped off, and I went in and slid the card into the ATM. And I got the message. It said, car, card error, call your bank. I thought, well, that's kind of strange. And so I put it back in, and I got the exact same message, card error, you need to call your bank for details. Now, I was aghast. I thought, well, surely it can't be the card. You know, it's got to be this ATM. And so I convinced Sherry that we need to hoof it back about a half a mile to another bank that we had passed on the way up, because I thought for sure if I put that card back in, we were going to get some cash out of it. And so we did. We walked back. I slid the card in, and guess what? got the exact same message. Card error, you need to call your bank for more details. Well, I don't know if you know this, but typically males are kind of bullheaded, and that was not going to work for me. I had this nice romantic evening planned out, and we were going to have it regardless. And so I kept putting it in, putting it in, and then I remembered, oh, there's another bank. And so we walked another Yes, I'm not lying to you. We walked about three or four different banks, and I kept putting the same card in over and over thinking, okay, I'm going to get the money out. Well, eventually, if I had really just stopped and think, and cooler heads, you know, they say might prevail, and what, hindsight is 2020, right? If I had stopped, I really could have thought that there was really two problems with this whole thing. The first problem was this. You see, being a typical male, 
I waited until like the last minute to call my mom and tell her that I needed the money. And so it was like Friday afternoon at 3, and we were going out like at Friday at 5. I didn't understand that it takes a little bit of time for the money to get onto the card so that it could be used at the ATM. No clue. And so that was a problem that if I'd really stopped to think about it, would have been an eye-opener for us. The other problem was is that I really was convinced that it was a problem with all those ATMs and not with my card at all. And if I had really stopped and thought about it long enough, um, we could have saved having to walk over all over the near north side of Chicago, me looking like a complete idiot, and we wouldn't have wound up right where we started, which was at Mr. G's, which was a dirty hole in the wall next to campus. And I had about 10 bucks that I was able to scrounge together out of my wallet, and we ate a basket. We shared a basket of greasy fries and a hamburger on that special romantic night out. Well, here's the problem. You see, I was the barrier to our big problem that evening. I was what was keeping us from having the issue. And that's really true in life, isn't it? Sometimes we can be our own worst barrier. My pride and my fabulous plan, my pride and my, my desire of goal of trying to impress Sherry became that big barrier. And what was supposed to be a special dinner wound up being nothing but an f- exercise in futility, one that Sharon and I will never forget, but we didn't get that nice dinner that I was hoping for. And as we look at our passage that we're going to explore here today, we're going to see that just like myself and that story, we can sometimes become the biggest barrier to the advancement of the gospel moving forward in our life because of our pride. Our pride is our obstacle for the advancement. It usually creeps up in our relationships and in our lives because we're Selfish because we're judgmental and we usually want what we want more than what anything else and we try with all of our might to avoid pain and suffering. But in our text today, Paul's going to help us see how we can practically overcome that ungodly focus on ourselves that we do tend to have in our life and living in such a way that we can show and demonstrate the power of the gospel to the people around us. Now, Give me a little background here to the book of Philippians for those of you who may not have read it or maybe this church thing is new to you. You don't know what all this is about. The book of Philippians um, was written uh, to a church in a place called Philippi. Philippi was the very first church that Paul founded outside of the Middle East in uh, eastern part of Europe. And Paul had moved on to go plant other churches. And when he left, he left behind a vibrant church community that loved the Lord. But they were new in their faith. And they began to suffer persecution. They began to suffer disappointments. And they began to have problems in their midst. And Paul is sending this letter back to them for a couple of reasons. He wants to encourage them because he himself is in prison. And he wants them to know that they're doing okay. And also they had already sent one of their very own members to Paul from Philippi with a financial gift. His name was Epaphrodites, and he wanted them to receive him back into their congregation because he had a story to tell. Now, if you read the whole book of Philippians, they're kind of arranged around these little vignettes, these little essays, these little stories that all come together around the great poem that is the beginning here of chapter 2. And it's the great poem that talks about who Jesus Christ is. And in this poem, Paul expresses who Jesus is, but he 
it's more than just who he is. He offers the example as Jesus is being the way that we should live our life as his followers and that his life is worth our imitation. In other words, Jesus not only was our perfect substitute, we can't forget that his life is also intended to be an example that we are to follow each and every day. So now in our part of the text that we're going to look at, Paul immediately follows up from that great poem with the example of two men that they knew in the congregation. They're new to us, but to the group at Philippi, they were well known. Their name is Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let's go ahead and jump in our text and let's read together what he says here at the end of chapter 2, verse 19 through 30. Here's what Paul writes. He said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their interests. In other words, Paul's saying the people here in Rome where I'm at in prison, they don't care about anybody but themselves. But Timothy is different. They all seek their own interests and not those of Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the father he has served with me in the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I know how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary, though, to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother, a fellow worker and a fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He was near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28, I am more eager to send him, therefore to you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord. With all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart for just a moment as we explore the truths of your word. May it penetrate deep within, change us is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Now, our pride, as I've said, can become easily a barrier or a blocker to the advancement of the gospel in our world. And what I think that we should understand and what Paul is pointing out is, is that we, as a church, we are called to be a people who are always demonstrating the story of Jesus in our relationships. We are called to point people to the fact that we have a Savior. And in this text, what Paul continues to explore is the role of humility in our lives. And to illustrate this point of humility, Paul takes a second after already talking about Jesus and his ultimate example of humility by being willing to die on the cross for us. He points his readers back to two people, Timothy and Epaphrodites, and says, these two ordinary men are men that they themselves should seek to emulate. These were living, breathing examples, Paul says, of what the life of Jesus should be about. And here's the best part. These were people 
that they already knew. These were people that had already served in the church, and actually one of them had been a member there and had left the church and gone to be with Paul in Rome. Now, these people, they weren't fancy-smancy, miracle-working people. They didn't have their name on all the billboards. Lots of people had no clue who they actually were. They were just ordinary men who, instead of focusing on themselves, they focused on the needs of others. Because they understood that having the wrong focus on ourselves is really the biggest barrier to the advancement in the gospel. That's why the gospel doesn't move forward. is because oftentimes it's ourself that gets in the way. So there's a couple of things I want us to look at real quick. I want you to notice that there is an unwillingness to be selfless that is what prevents the gospel from moving forward. Verse 21, there's an unwillingness to be selfless. Now, apparently, there was a need for Paul to address a problem of self-centeredness among the Christians that were there. Because that's why he says there in verse 21, for they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus. And earlier in chapter 2, he said, humbly consider others better than yourself. In other words, Paul is picking up on something that he wants them to know and us to know today. And that is, is that when we are selfless, when we are selfish, we become a barrier. We become a problem in our relationships. And he is telling his readers, and he's telling us today this truth, that it is only through the Holy Spirit that we are able to put the needs of others before ourselves. It's only through the power of the working of the Holy Spirit in our life that we can put the needs of other people in front of of ourselves. Now, let me let you in on a little bit more. It's kind of like lift the hood here and you can check out the engine to see what's going on at the church in Philippi. Later, you're going to see next week in chapter three, there are apparently two prominent leaders within the church who were having some kind of an argument and a disagreement. There was a conflict, a real conflict happening in their midst. And he had been pleading with them earlier in chapter one and here in chapter two, that these leaders should follow the example of Jesus's humility and get over themselves and put the needs of others ahead of their own problems. They should seek to be reconciled and they should seek to be unified. And there's a good reason, I think, that Paul was urging the people who were reading this book to follow Timothy and Epaphrodites because they both were examples of men who were, who were selfless, who were willing to be humble. You know, humility before God and man is a virtue that every child of God needs to strive for. Because if there's a spirit of pride in our human relationships, that indicates that there is a lack of humility before God. And instead of concentrating on ourself, Paul is saying that each of us need to be concerned about the interest of others. And here's why. Because if we live our lives with a preoccupation of ourselves primarily, that is sin. What Paul is getting at here with his readers is that just like Timothy and just like Epaphrodites, we should be willing to submit ourselves to the Lord and to one another in the spirit of Christ. And his example is the pattern that we 
should follow. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that to have unity in relationships, it's a choice. It's a choice. And it's only by the unseen power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives that we can have the confidence to choose to change by choosing unity over ourselves. To say yes to unity and no to our selfishness is by choosing to say, Holy Spirit, right now, help me to set aside my feelings. Help me get over myself and choose unity in what we're looking at. And Paul knew that one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit is to produce within each believer a concern and a love for other members of God's family. And it's only by a willful choice of the follower of Christ to allow the Holy Spirit to do that in a relationship that spiritual unity can happen. So what Paul is saying here is we have to be careful. We have to be careful because if our outlook is selfish, then our actions will be divisive and it will be destructive to the people that are around us. Another item that prevents the gospel from moving forward is our second point, and that is having an unwillingness to serve others. Having an unwillingness to serve others. Now, the first person that Paul points to here is Timothy. And Paul says that Timothy is like Jesus in that Timothy is constantly always concerned about the welfare of others. He's more concerned about others than he is himself. And he's willing to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to serve them because Timothy understood that humility was the only way to serve others. You know, humility that we talked about as a virtue that should be in every Christian's life, you know, we are not naturally programmed to put ourselves behind other people. Instead, we are programmed to put ourselves in front of other people. And it's not something that comes easy, and it's not something that comes natural. And what you read here as you study the life of Timothy is, is that this wasn't natural for him either. It was something that he had to cultivate. It was something that he, as a disciple of Christ, had to grow under as he studied the Scriptures and prayed. And as a spirit of pride, Paul is letting us know, in our human relationships indicates that we have a lack of humility before God. Because if we have a preoccupation with our own self over the needs of others, that's sin. That's wrong. And the root cause of selfishness is always pride. And the problem with selfishness is always pride. What Paul is reminding us, if you don't have joy in your life as a follower of Christ, it's because you're probably not putting the needs of others ahead of yourself. Instead of concentrating on yourself, we should all be concentrating and concerned about the interest of others. And that brings us to our last point, which is another thing that prevents the gospel from moving forward is an unwillingness to suffer for Christ. It's believers having an unwillingness to be uncomfortable, to do hard things, to take a risk 
for Jesus Christ. And like Timothy, Paul then turns to a man by the name of Epaphrodites. And he was an example of what it meant to have a concern for others. And Paul says that Epaphrodites is just like Jesus because like Jesus, Epaphrodites was willing to risk everything, including his very life for others. You see, when the need came known to the church at Philippi that Paul was in prison and that he needed help, they decided to take up a collection. They decided to gather some money, some provisions for Paul, and they were going to send it. And as Epaphrodites heard it that day, I'm sure in his mind, he wasn't just content to throw a little money in the plate to say, here you go, Paul. Go be well, Godspeed with you. No. Instead, the Bible tells us that Epaphrodites literally gave himself to this mission. He either quit his job, he took off work. We don't know what happened, but he left Philippi, took that money, and made the arduous journey all the way to Rome and was there for months and months. And when he got to Rome, he didn't check into a resort. He checked into the prison where Paul was staying and stayed in his cell with him to minister to him. And Paul says Epaphrodites is the example that we should be following because he was willing to do the hard thing. He was willing to suffer for Christ. And as a matter of fact, the text says there, did you catch it? That while he was in Rome, he became so sick that he almost died. He literally almost died while he was there. But thankfully, God had mercy on him, sparing his life and sparing Paul the loss of a friend. So why does he use Epaphrodites as an example? Because he models for us how we can act with sacrificial boldness and how we can have uncommon courage through the Holy Spirit's working in our life. And as Christians, we have to act the same way. We have to realize that it's going to require sacrificial boldness and have an uncommon courage for whatever is in front of us, for the sake of the gospel, so that it can go forward. Our church, if you have not been familiar with us for a while, we have a weekly mission outreach uh, to the Hidden Creek Trailer Park down in Fountain Inn. We've been down there for over two dozen years uh, ministering in that, in that community to the children. A few years back, I got a call while I was at work. There was a young man on the other's line. His name was Jesse. And he was asking for a minister from the church to come to Hidden Creek because he wanted somebody to go with him to talk with his dad. See, 14 years earlier, Jesse's mom had died of cancer when he was four years old. Now Jesse was a senior in high school and he was about to graduate, but his dad had recently been diagnosed with cancer too. And it was terminal. 14 years earlier, when Jesse's mom died, Jesse's dad became bitter. He became angry towards God. And he was determined that there could be no God because a loving God would not take the wife that he loved 
and the mother of his four-year-old child. There could not be a God for that to happen. Even though he was angry and mad and disowned God, Jesse was, Jesse's dad was still a good dad. And he allowed Jesse to go each week to that mission outreach. But as you can imagine, it was probably tough for him growing up in that house. And while Jesse was at that missions each week, somewhere along the line, Jesse came to understand that Jesus loved him. And Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus could save him. And so little Jesse asked Christ to come into his life and to be a savior and to his Lord. Now, he was living out his faith that he was growing in, even as a teenager, before his dad, who had disavowed God. So, uh, myself and a few other deacons and ministers, we went down one evening to that trailer at Hidden Creek, and we met Jesse outside. And when we got there, something amazing happened. Jesse met us at the door. He was focused. He said he wanted to talk to his dad first before anyone else did because he had something he needed to tell him. So we followed Jesse in to the living room. His dad was sitting there on oxygen in the recliner in the living room. And Jesse got down on his knees in front of his dad and he began to share his heart. He told his dad that he wanted him to know that all the anger that he had been holding to for all these years towards God that it didn't have to be that way right now. That he really wanted his dad to let God change his heart, to take that anger away and allow him to become a child of God and that he could have Jesus in his heart before he died. And Jesse told his dad that the greatest joy that he could ever have as his son for however many years God let him walk on the face of the earth, the greatest joy that he could have is knowing that if he would give his life to Christ, that he would one day see his mom and his dad again in heaven. So Jesse said to his dad, Dad, are you willing to let go of your anger? Are you willing to let go of your pride? Are you willing to let go of your hurt? Confess your need for Jesus and ask him to be a savior and Lord. His dad began to weep and he said, yes. Now, even though I was in the room and there was deacons and ministers in the room, none of us really needed to be in that room because right there on his knees in front of his dad, Jesse led his father in the sweetest prayer that you have ever heard inviting him to ask Jesus to come and do something in his life that only Jesus could do. And I just stood there and I was amazed because I knew the story of Jesse. Because here was a young man, just barely 18 years old, who had sacrificed so much already. He was a smart man. He could go on and do incredible things, but he chose to stay in school chose to work with his hands as a mechanic because he wanted to stay around to help take care of his dad. Here he was leading his own father to Christ. And I think about Jesse when I read this passage because like 
Timothy. And like Epaphrodites, Jesse models for us how an act of sacrificial boldness and uncommon courage can do radical things in the lives of other people. Jesse was willing to be uncomfortable. He was willing to sacrifice and even to suffer for the gospel because he knew his dad needed that more than anything else. And that brings us to our bottom line. And our bottom line is this. Like Timothy and like Epaphrodites, we, you and me, each of us can demonstrate the story of Jesus as we rely on the Holy Spirit to serve others and to act with sacrificial boldness to the people that he has put in front of our everyday lives. We're called, Paul says, to demonstrate the story of Jesus in the relationships in our life. And Paul is showing us through these examples that we can follow their life as an example to emulate. And it's really not an option. Paul is telling us that unity is a choice in a church. He says unity is a choice in your marriage, in your relationships. He's telling us know that we don't have to try to do this on our own because we can't do it on our own. We have to rely on the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to do it in our lives. So the question for us today is, is what would this look like if we chose to demonstrate this type of selfless love towards others, be willing to serve others? What would that look like for a dad or a husband today? What would that look like for a mom or a wife? What would that look like for a child or a grandchild? It would cost us all something, right? It would inconvenience us. It would scare us. It would mean that we'd have to be bold and courageous to let go of our pride, to let go of our selfishness, to let go of ourselves and say, God, I want what you want more than what I want. Despite how I feel, despite what has happened to me, give me the courage to follow you. Give me the boldness to lay it aside to respond the way that you would want me to respond. Today, are you willing to go all in like Timothy and like Epaphrodites? Are you willing to put yourself out there? Are you willing to take the risk as a follower of Jesus to forget yourself, to serve others, and to make a sacrificial bold step for the kingdom? You see, here in this text, Paul has shown us that knowing Jesus at its core is a deeply personal and transforming encounter. And it's this same Jesus that Paul invites us to follow today. For those of you who are today, and maybe you've not heard what Jesus has done for you. This is all new to you. You're thinking, he did that for me? Yes. He loves you with an everlasting love. He wants to have a relationship with you. I don't care where you're from or what you've done. He loves you. 
And because he gave himself, he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again three days later. He's inviting you through his grace to a salvation that he is offering to you. And if you want that salvation, then today is the day that you can respond. Come talk to us at the end of the service. We'd love to introduce you to him. If you're a follower of Christ today and things have gotten out of kilter just a little bit maybe in your relationships and it's a little bit more about you than it is about Jesus, then there's good news for what Paul is saying here to us today. That is that we should just be eager to let ourselves go. Be eager to pursue humility. Be eager to follow the example of Jesus and Timothy and Epaphrodites to serve others and make sacrificial, bold steps for the gospel. To have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. To let ourselves go and let him work. Isn't that encouraging today? Isn't that great news? Let me pray for you and then they're gonna come and close us in a time of song. If God has done something in your life, don't leave here today without talking to somebody about it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you have challenged us and allow us to see how you look at us and how much you love us and how much you have a desperate desire to have a relationship with us. I pray, God, that what our hearts have felt, how you have used your word to stir us, that, God, we would submit and surrender it all to you. Do your work in our life today is our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.